and it's so good to see you all. Uh, it's fantastic to be here at this evening celebration to worship together uh, and see some well-known faces and see some new faces. It is brilliant to, to be here. So our Impact Sunday that we're part of today is, as you've heard, it's this whole reality of being out and about across our city in our communities. And what we're about as a church is to be followers of Jesus, sharing the goodness of God with everyone. And in doing this, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus as God's sent one. In fact, this is one of the most important understandings that we can bring to who we are as followers of Jesus. God is the sending God. God is the sending God. So do you know that everything that you've been involved in today is you participating in God's mission to the world? It's God already out there. It's God already wanting to save the world. And that's exactly the same tomorrow when you go into your workplace or your school or your university or you're walking around your neighborhood. God is God on mission and we are participating with what he's already doing. So if in your workplace tomorrow, you're bringing a situation where you need to bring justice, you're enacting God's mission right where you are. If you're someone who's you know, taken on some of the stuff we learned last week on Eco Sunday and thought, right, I need to change the way I'm living, you're participating in God's mission to save the planet and to redeem the whole of creation. And as followers of Jesus, out and about sharing the goodness of God, what we want to do is, yes, litter pick and change the environment that we're in. But the trajectory we're on is to build relationship with people. And then as we build those relationships with people, to share the story of the difference that God makes in our life. As we listen to their story. And then to be able to see people come to faith in Jesus and have their lives transformed in the same way as we've had our lives transformed. So when we're out litter picking or when we're in the workplace, it's looking around, okay, who are the people that are open to us that we can build this relationship with, that we can go on this journey with? And we're participating in God's mission God is the sending God. In sending Jesus to the world, we see God's mission to save it absolutely in action. And in the same way as God sends Jesus, Jesus sends us. And we get to participate in God's mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing that we get to join in with that wherever we are in our daily lives. In a moment, I'm going to read from John's Gospel. And I'm going to read one of the most explicit statements about God on mission. And it takes place in a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a professional religious person. He was a learned member of the Sanhedrin. And he has spotted that Jesus is doing a lot of remarkable things. And he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. It's as if he doesn't really want people to know that he's getting into this conversation with Jesus. And he 
wants to find out from Jesus more about him. It's kind of tell me a bit more about yourself. He, I can see that God is with Jesus. He's got that intellectual um, understanding that God is with Jesus. I mean, he will have heard by this time that Jesus has turned huge amounts of water into wine. So maybe that's the reason he wanted to get to know Jesus a bit better. Can you increase my wine stores? So he's got that intellectual understanding, but he, he, he's kind of thinking, who is this? Tell me a bit more about yourself. And Jesus explains to him that just as someone is born into this world through a physical birth, a spiritual birth has to take place in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the language of rebirth, being born again, born from above, this is the spiritual birth described by Jesus. And he's describing what happens when you get to be one with the Father, God the Father. When you get to join the family, you join by supernatural birth. Your eyes are opened to a new reality and your life is opened to embrace a new reality. Your eyes are opened and your life is opened to step into a new reality. And Nicodemus struggles to understand this. And that's where our reading comes in. And I'm reading from verse 12 of John chapter 3. The Gospel of John chapter 3 verse 12. And the words will be coming up. There we are, great. I have spoken to you of earthly things. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus giving this further explanation of what it means to enter into this spiritual birth, this new life in God. And it's important in this explanation to understand that Jesus is himself the one who came from heaven. He is God's sent one coming from heaven to earth. As Jesus is described in the first chapter of John's gospel, he is the word who became flesh, who dwelt amongst us as God's sent one. Jesus came to bring us into the family of God reading from chapter one, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not of natural descent, 
nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. How will that come about, this entry into the family of God, this spiritual birth into the kingdom of heaven? Well, the entry point is described in these verses, chapter three, verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What's all that about? Why is Jesus suddenly talking about a snake? Well, he's referring to Numbers, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapter 21, where Moses is instructed by God to deliver the people of Israel from the plague of snakes that have been sent as a chastisement to the people for all of their grumbling and their rebellion. Verses eight and nine of chapter 21 in Numbers say this, and the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Quite useful to have in our hospitals nowadays, wouldn't it? If there was a bronze snake that you could suddenly look at and the poison and the illness that was in your body went out because you were looking at that bronze snake. Actually, what happened with that bronze snake is that the people of Israel eventually started to worship it as if it was magic. So Hezekiah a bit later on had to kind of say, okay, we're putting our faith in a bronze snake now, we need to destroy that, so he did. But in this moment, the people, when they'd been bitten by a snake and poisoned, when they looked at the snake that Moses had created, this bronze snake, when they looked at the snake on the pole, they were healed. The poison left their bodies. They lived, they were able to live physically. Jesus says, Nicodemus, in the same way as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on the pole, the son of man will be lifted up. Who is this son of man? Well, later in this same gospel of John, Jesus makes it clear that he is the son of man. Chapter eight, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. And again in chapter 12, verse 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. So this apparently strange reference to a snake is a foretelling of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. The people of Israel looked to the bronze snake. They were healed. The poisons from the snake left their bodies and they were able to physically live. In the same way, as people look to Jesus on the cross, as people believe in him, they will be set free from sin that holds them captive and have eternal life in him. Nicodemus, that professional, intellectual, religious leader, is being challenged to turn to Jesus for new birth in much the same way as the ancient Israelites were commanded to turn to the bronze snake for new life. It's a miraculous transformation that happens 
in those Israelites' lives. This spiritual rebirth is a miraculous transformation into eternal life. Looking to the cross, looking to the cross is the dynamic where that takes place. Do you see it? Looking to the cross. When the people of Israel looked to the bronze serpent, by the grace of God, they lived. When people look to the cross of Jesus, they enter eternal life. He is crucified and glorified. He is the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in him have life in him. Their eyes are open to a new reality. Their lives are open to embrace a new reality. That is what we are going for. You know, in everything that we're about, as these missionary disciples, as followers of Jesus, sent by Jesus, empowered by Holy Spirit, we're looking to connect with people and connect them to the cross and then see this miraculous transformation happen in their lives. Eyes being opened to a new reality. Lives being opened to embrace the new reality of life in Jesus. This is the precious gift of the Son to the world, taking on all that separates us from God, taking from us the poison in our lives. Things like our willfulness, willfulness, our self-centered nature, our self-orientation. In fact, anything where we have removed God from the center point of our life and as the source of our eternal well-being. You've heard me say on many times when we look at the cross, there's an extravagant exchange of grace that takes place. Jesus takes all that's not of God onto him in the cross. And we receive God's grace. Eternal life, life in all its fullness. Why has God made this precious gift? What's the motivation behind this? behind the cross. This is the motivation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So this isn't just about you and me. This is about God's plan, its purpose, his mission to the whole world. And as we heard in the last verse that I read, verse 18, there's a choice for people whether they choose to go with that or not. And what we're praying for is that people come to the cross and have that miraculous exchange. Old life for new life, as we were singing earlier. Death to life. Guilt and shame on the cross. Freedom, peace, contentment to live in the strength and reality of what Jesus has done. The mission of God is right there, motivated by the love of God. Ever since humanity turned our backs on God, our creator, we see recorded in the Bible the repeated acts of God, time and time and time again to seek us and call us back to him. 
And here is the ultimate act, the once for all. In his love, God didn't hold back his one and only son. He gave. The climax of Jesus, the son of God's mission, is itself grounded in the love of God. There's an intensity to that love, that repeated phrase, the one and only son, that we first see in chapter one. And we've heard repeated twice in our reading this evening. The father gives his best, his unique, his beloved son, with that agape love. That means that sacrificial love. God has sent his son, who is the word, the final revelation of who God is. And in that revelation, he has brought light in the midst of darkness, life in the midst of death, freedom in the midst of slavery, and a declaration of forgiveness in the midst of judgment. Who do you know who needs to know those things? I'm just going to read that list again because it's quite all-encompassing, isn't it? In the revelation of Jesus, he's brought light in the midst of darkness, life in the midst of death. Boy, do we need to hear that at the moment. Freedom in the midst of slavery, habit patterns that are so difficult to break, addictions that are so difficult to break. On the cross of Christ, that's where freedom comes. And a declaration of forgiveness in the midst of judgment. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who reveals all that about God. So this is fantastic news to share. And that's what we're doing as a church. That's what we're asking God to show us where he's already at work and jumping in and joining in with that. Participating in God's mission to save the world. And to give people the opportunity to make a personal response. And Alpha's a great place to invite people to, to give them the opportunity to hear the story of God, which makes all the difference in the world today. Yeah. We need to come back to the cross. It's the ultimate place where the mission of God, the love of God, is expressed and enacted. We're going to move into a time of response. I want us to spend time recognizing the love of God for us personally at the cross and the sacrifice that has been made for the world. I've been really uh, having a lot of fun reading a book that some friends of mine gave to me. I don't think they lent it to me. I'll find out after this whether, I think they gave it to me, but there we are, we'll find out. Um, Maze by Jesus by Simon Ponsonby. Really, I've, I've fab book reading it over the summer. And um, this bit really, yeah. This is, uh, question of Jesus 
to Peter, do you love me? The disciple Peter. And Simon Ponsby goes on to write, the most effective disciple is not the most educated, the most gifted, the best connected, but the most passionate about Jesus. The one who glows and overflows with love for Jesus. There is nothing more attractive nor effective than a saint in love with their savior. Passion breeds passion. Indifference breeds indifference. That paragraph really stopped me in my tracks. Because I'm a professional Christian, aren't I? You know, I get paid to do this. Actually, what I want to be is a, is a person, is a daughter who loves Jesus. Sometimes, like Nicodemus, I can be a bit too much of that professional religious type. Or I can get so caught up with what I don't think I'm doing well or by the task list or whatever, that the love of Jesus gets kind of squeezed out. Or I can allow worries to just come. So what do we need to do at that point? What do I need to do? Heavens, I'm speaking to myself. This, this, this particular chapter completely spoke to me I need to come back to the cross and be reminded of these incredible words from John's gospel of God's love for me personally, for us as a community, as a church community, as a church family, for the city of Cambridge. And then we go national and global, don't we? I'm going to continue just to read this next bit. It is well known that the Welsh revival began in early 1904 in West Wales and was indebted to the preparatory prayers and ministry of Evan Roberts. What is less well known is that the revival broke following an incident with a teenage girl called Florrie Evans. On Sunday, she went to the pastor of Newquay, Cardiganshire, now that caught my attention as well because I'd just been there and I'd seen some dolphins off the coast of Newquay, which was very exciting. Keridigian in Welsh. So this was all kind of, oh, you know when God's catching your attention, it's like a double whammy that keeps going on here. Anyway, Florrie Evans, she went to the Reverend Jenkins for spiritual counsel saying she longed for spiritual joy and peace. He encouraged her to surrender the Lordship of Christ and to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. She went away and did just that handing over her life to the Lord, and God visited her. The following week, she attended chapel and asked, was asked to give testimony. No, she asked to give testimony in church. As she stood up, she simply said, I love Jesus with all my heart. The Spirit came, wooed by this platform of public devotion. One by one, those present surrendered to the Lord. Many wept, convicted of their sin and their cold hearts. God came upon that congregation, and God's Spirit swept through that country. Young Florrie Evans traveled widely with Evan Roberts, fanning the flames. The church was renewed, the community transformed, 
and an estimated 100,000 new members, converts, were added to the church in just six months. A simple statement of faith in Jesus, in the love of Jesus, transforms thousands of people. 